0: Hello vampires and slayers this is mistress ray And you're listening to What's This Bitch talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Tonight, just barely, because it is (laughs) 11.13pm. I'm sorry I always get these episodes to you guys Sunday morning. Like, in an ideal world, you guys would have this shit by Saturday afternoon. But... I always, I really do want to watch it on the day. And I know you guys probably don't really care either way. (laughs) Uh, I haven't had like a single person write to me and go, you know what? That is such a cool idea that you do that 20 years later thing, (laughs) which is totally fine. It's just one of those things that I fixate on. Okay, guys, I was going to get this ready beforehand. And I just remembered that I didn't. Um, So, um, hold please. Okay. (laughs) I, um, y'all, y'all know I nerd out about tarot. So at the very end of primeval, when, oh, I have my fan on. I don't know if that's too loud. It doesn't seem like it's peaking. Okay. Experiment. In my tiny little closet, there is no like kind of like air or heat or anything. So like whenever I shut myself up in here, I am just you know, sweating if it's hot and freezing, if it's cold, which I don't care if I'm cold, you know, I can just put on more layers. But anyway, survey right now, during the course of this one episode of the podcast, I am going to have my little fan on in the background, which I'm sure you can hear. If it bothers you, let me know. And I won't do it again. Mixtress radio at Gmail. But if it genuinely doesn't bother you, I've always left it off. Um, because I figured it would just be annoying, but if it genuinely doesn't bother you, then hey, don't let me know anything. If no one lets me know anything, I might use it again. Okay. There's that. Okay. So at the end of primeval, when they all do the adjoining spell, there are tarot cards. So y'all know, cause I am a nerd about tarot. My tarot readings are still 50% off. Etsy.com slash mixtress tarot is my shop name. <laughs> if you're interested, um, So there's a tarot card used to represent each of the four of them while they're doing the enjoining spell, which I thought was really cool. And of course, y'all know me. I paused it and looked as closely at those cards as I possibly could. It's obvious that they used tarot cards as inspiration for these cards, but they're not literal tarot cards. Like um, the... The card that represents Giles is basically the hermit card, but it's a little bit changed. They like, just for those of you that like tarot, Giles's card was Sophus Mind. So it just said Sophus on it. And it had, it was, it was basically the image on the hermit card. And then it had a globe and a table and a candle on it, like a little writing table. I think it might've even had like a feather quill on it, So it was a slightly edited hermit card. The um, one that they used for Willow, Spiritus, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it was not anything from the tarot. It just was like a floating figure that had like these like funky rags. I mean, it looked like it was part of her dress. It, it almost looked like snakes from far away. But like getting up close to it, and you really could focus on her card, it was just like little flowing wispy things coming off of the dress, and it was a floating angelic type figure without wings. Um, So it wasn't any kind of um, tarot card that I know, but I chose to represent Willow because I always think of Willow as the Daughter of Pentacles, which is also called the Page of Pentacles in some decks. And, um, so I pulled that card out to represent her. I have the hermit card out to represent Giles and then, um, animus heart is what they called, um, what they called Xander. Just forgot his name there for a second. Um, (laughs) but it was a weird image. It was like a mixture of a couple of different night cards in the tarot. Um, but he was holding a sword. Like it wasn't the actual Knight of Swords. It was more, it looked more like the Knight of Wands. The, but he was holding a sword. But I, I would never call Xander and they were calling him Heart. So Heart is Cups. So I pulled the Knight of Cups out to represent Xander today. And then you don't even get a single glimpse of Buffy's card. They cut to like an initiative scene as soon as um, Willow starts to hand that card over because she's naming each thing while she's doing the spell and handing the card over. Um, So while she's handing that card over, like you can see her reach for it, but you never actually see it. But they call her Manus the Hand. So Spiritus is Willow, Animus is... Xander, Sophus is Giles, and Manus the hand that is Buffy. And so I chose Ace of Wands to represent Buffy because I figured it would be an Ace card because all the Ace cards have like a hand on them and a wand looks kind of like a stake. So... (laughs) If you guys have a tarot deck right now, um, if you would like to set the scene, if you happen to be hanging out at home, not doing anything else, um, and it's nighttime especially, um, recreate this spell with me. Um, All you need is, um, you don't even need tarot cards, but you know, so as with any magic spell, you can use any tools that you already have. So what I have in front of me is four candles lit, just like um, the Scooby gang had in this episode, and I have the Knight of Cups card, the Page of Pentacles card, the Ace of Wands, and the Hermit. <laughs> Why do I do these things? I don't know, but I love it. Okay, and um, it's also, since it's, you know, 1120 at night on a Saturday, let's party, right? I got invited to like a socially distance outside porch party, one of my best friends that lives in the neighborhood. And I was like, shit, you know, that'd be great, but I got to do my podcast. So I'm here with you guys instead. And if I were with her, I'd be drinking quite a bit tonight. But with you guys, I will stay relatively sober. Let's take a shot. Oh, and I also have a little, a little baby amethyst crystal. My candles today, (laughs) because you guys want to know, I have this beautiful Himalayan salt, candle. Thanks mom. I have my Buffy saint candle, which has an image of Buffy and it says our lady of protection. If you would like to get one of your own, it is sold on, I believe the website is called last craft designs. And she has like really cool, like pop culture, saint candles. They're kind of expensive, but I mean, you can always refill the candle and just burn it over and over, but they're really cool designs. Um, and My other two candles are just candles of no consequence. The special ones are the Buffy St. Candle and the Himalayan Salt. I just love that for some reason. I don't know why. Just a chunk of solid salt. I mean, if magic is real, it feels magical, you guys. I recommend it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So we're talking about Prime Evil today. Honestly, I did not take a ton of notes for this. Oh, and I didn't even get out my episode guide yet. Let's do that. Don't you guys love hearing me do this shit? You would think I was so disorganized, but it still takes me hours and hours and hours to do this shit. Okay. Prime Evil, May sixteenth, 2000. Written by David Fury, directed by James Contner. The gang figures out Adam's plan and realizes the only way to bring him down is to work together okay yes that is true so here we go um my first note is Buffy can't find Riley Walsh put the chip in Riley's chest Adam's whole goal is to make companions so I think it's interesting like obviously this is Adam is a Frankenstein monster but he's the year 2000 Frankenstein monster which is you know he's made of demon parts and human parts and computer parts, um, which sounds like I mean it could have been done better. It really could have been, but it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, guys. I don't feel like talking about this episode. <laughs> okay, I'll get into it. I'll get into it. How are you guys? Let's let's start with that. Um, I don't want to not be present, but as is the case with me, I, oh God, it's like my energy reserves are so tiny that like, I have been so fully 100% present for you guys when I've been off work. Um, I don't know if that means that like the quality of my show has been different, but while I've been off work, I have been just fully here. I've been the biggest difference for me during times and being off, I was off work for almost two months. Um, I did still have, um, one job that I did every, that I do every Thursday. That's just supplemental income usually, but I still did that, but that was literally the only thing I had to do. So I was, I was sleeping as much as I wanted to sleep. I was going to bed when I wanted to go to bed and I'm definitely a night owl. And it, I don't know. It was just, I was well rested, consistently well rested. I miss it already. And I've only had two days of work so far of being a public servant as a librarian again. Um, I worked on, my first day back was Wednesday and then my second day was today. And it looks like I'm not even gonna be working as many hours as I did before, but anyway. Um, If you guys want a little bit of a library life rant, um, going back to work in a library during a pandemic. (laughs) So far, I don't have a lot of experience because I just had one four-hour shift on Wednesday and then one six-hour shift today. And it didn't even end up being six hours, actually, um, because we went home early. But um, yeah, it's... You know how here's what I'm thinking the case is because basically I came home and I was just completely drained. I was emptied out like a husk after working for five hours, you know, like five and a half. And I mean, I don't really know how to attribute that. Like it's possible that, you know, how when you start a brand new job and like your first day, you're just like learning all these new things and you're taking in all this new information and like you're just overthinking everything because you don't know what you're doing yet. And all that kind of stuff. And then you're just like super, super tired when you get home that first day. That's what today felt like for me. Because today was my first day actually working with the public again in a very limited capacity. Like we're doing, basically we're a curbside library right now. And I'm sure a lot of libraries are doing this. Where we have certain pickup hours. And somebody has, um, you have to put your items on hold. And once your items are in for you, then you just drive up during those pickup pickup hours, tell us your name. And then we go inside, get your items that are already on the hold shelf, check them out to you and bring them back to your car. And, you know, I really, I went into this thinking, this is going to be really fun. This is going to be cool. This is going to be physically active. I like being physically active at my job and I don't usually get to do a whole lot of that. Um, you know, walking in and out, in and out carrying books, you know, it's, it's a menial thoughtless task almost. So I thought that I was really going to enjoy it and probably I will really enjoy it once, once I get the hang of it. So it's possible that it's just like, I'm learning a new workflow, but I was just so fucking exhausted when I got home. I was just so tired. I just laid on the couch from like 3 PM through until just now, (sighs) you know, um, watching RuPaul, watching Buffy, watching YouTube videos, just like with my mouth hanging open drool falling out of the side. Not really, but I just, I couldn't do anything. Like even if I didn't have this Buffy podcast to do tonight, I don't think I would have been able to go to my friend's house to hang out, which lately I've been jumping at the chance. Every single opportunity I have to interact with people, I will do it. So I don't, I don't know what that means for me, like, I know you guys aren't here for my existential library life ramblings, but just right now, after having, after feeling so exhausted just from a very short shift, and there really wasn't even that much happening in the shift, I just, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's just a big contrast, and it's something that a lot of us are going to deal with, that that are in a similar situation where you've had some time off work for quarantines and then you have to go back. And being that, that for the first time ever as an adult, I was able to um, not be overstimulated. I'm, I'm autistic, so I, 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 use, I overuse the term overstimulated because I always feel overstimulated. It feels like every single thing in this life, um, basically I'm just thinking too hard about every single thing. You know, I feel like I can, I hear and smell and see and feel too much. That's what it feels like to be autistic, basically. I think really that's, that's the only thing I would know to explain it. Obviously I don't know what it feels like to be not autistic, but to describe how it feels for me really just feels like everything is too much. Everything all the time is too much. And during quarantines I honestly had moments where I felt a little bit bored. And that's not like me, <laughs> but I kind of enjoyed that. You know, I enjoyed nothingness, like I really did almost nothing with my time. And maybe that means I'm lazy. Like I still did this podcast. I still did my radio show. I still did my tarot readings for people. Um, but beyond that, I felt like that was enough. I mean, there were times that I really wanted to be around people. I wanted to see my friends and family. Um, but I had time, you know, I felt like I had the time to do all the things that I wanted to do. I had time to hang out with friends and family. And really get something out of those experiences most of the time I am overwhelmed and it causes me to not go to all the social events that I would like to go to you know like the whole reason today I mean besides having the podcast to do but even if I didn't have that I don't think I would have had the reserves to go hang out with friends which sucks because like a couple of those people I haven't actually seen hung out with in person in a while sorry, I was messing with something and it banged into my window. I need to not do that. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's just my normal existential crap. I think too hard about absolutely everything. I really do define myself by being, to some extent, by being a public servant, like, but during the quarantines, times, I had the opportunity to I've been doing a lot more tarot readings and not enough to like actually be able to make a living from them, but I've been doing enough that it gave me a little bit of a window into a world of, wow, if I worked from home as a tarot reader, just, you know, uploading videos for my clients and, you know, doing my Etsy shop tarot reading thing, if that were my profession, I think... I would not be overstimulated all the time. Like, and it's just, it's a weird thing to think about because it's like, I don't think I even imagined that a world without being overstimulated was a possibility for me. So it's almost like having quarantines for me was a taste at a world that I might never actually be able to hold up, you know, like I don't, I would have to be doing a lot more tarot readings than I do now to be able to make enough money to support myself. But anyway, that is a whole thing that you guys did not come for. So let's talk about primeval. I'm feeling existential and tired. And it's also because like this week, there's been a lot of storms and I just had like, for one reason or another, four nights in a row where I've been sleep-deprived, and I always get super, like, do you guys do that? Like, if you're really sleep-deprived, do you, like, get really, like, philosophical? (laughs) I always do. Of course, my reaction to everything is to get really philosophical. Anyway, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, It's just readjusting. I'm readjusting to being a public servant, and so far it's... (laughs) I don't know if I will get the same level of fulfillment out of it. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. <laughs> I I really should not be making any, like, any declarations of any kind for at least another, like, couple of months because everything's just going to be so weird. And yeah, we'll see. Anyway. Okay. I'm going to try not to apologize for doing that shit because honestly, whenever I'm listening to people's podcasts, I love it when they get really super personal, but that's just the kind of bitch that I am. I'm sure some people are really annoyed by that kind of shit. Um, so if you're just here for the episode guide, let's start that now. Okay. Transition. Okay. So beginning of the episode, primeval, Buffy can't find Riley. She's like looking for him in the caves or no, she's looking for him at the burnt out fucking school. Like, why did they decide that was a good place for him? It's awful. So, I was watching the the passionate nerd, TPN, his Buffy episode guide on YouTube that I'm always, like, talking about with you guys. He was talking about um, the themes of the whole season um, and about, like, you know, operant conditioning and losing your identity and finding your identity again and blah, 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 blah. He's talking about all that shit and about how one of the reasons why season four is kind of a failure when looked at on the whole as like a plot trajectory is because of the connection. Like, Riley is our connection to this world of the initiative and blah, 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 blah. And we just do not fully connect to him. Like, I'm always defending Riley. I do think he is a good guy, genuinely. But he is very hard to connect to. And that's, you know, obviously there was unforeseen circumstances. Like, they didn't know that Seth Green was going to get a movie offer and have to leave. They didn't know that Lindsay Krauss was going to have to leave you know, Professor Walsh was supposed to be the big bad of this season, and then she left unexpectedly, and they had to rewrite it at the last minute, and, you know, Joss Whedon's energies were put almost fully into Angel, this first season of Angel, and so he wasn't paying that much attention, and, like, I think they didn't really know if they were supposed to make decisions without him or something, like, it's not like Marty Noxon didn't know what she was fucking doing, because she definitely does. But, you know, everything was just weird this season and it showed. And one of the things that TPN said was, wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, that whole thing about Xander, like maybe he should have joined the army, like maybe at the very beginning of the season, he could have had his own little mini identity crisis. And like, what am I doing with my life? And then maybe he decided to join the army and he ended up being enlisted in this, initiative force thing and then all of these scenes with riley in this episode or in other episodes that were focusing on riley and his identity and where he fits in like the structured world and like the whole idea of family within family as defined by a military environment versus family as defined by buffy like buffy's family is a chosen family and like the military family like in the last episode wasn't it Forrest that was saying something like you chose to abandon your family or something like that to Riley and or no he said it to Buffy about right or whatever anyway the allegory of family was made um, about the military a military operation and you just the notion of like a family that is called a family because it has a bunch of rules and structures that you have to follow in order to be accepted into it, like a church or something like that. An institution that is erroneously called a family versus a chosen family, such as what Buffy has. Um, And how it just would have been a much more interesting storyline if it were centered around Xander. You know, it's not like Buffy couldn't have still had her Riley boyfriend, but making him such a big part of the plot of season four is a mistake. And I don't know if it's possible that maybe if Mark Blucas was a more experienced actor at this point in his life, um, we could have become more connected to him I haven't seen him in anything else so I don't know if he became a better actor or not but I just have to suppose that he did because he stuck with it and when he came back in season six for like a second he was much better at that point you know I think this was like his first acting gig so it just I feel like and maybe I'm wrong but like let me know if you guys ever really felt connected to Riley like not it's not about whether or not you like him you know, cause I know a lot of people don't like him, but did you ever feel connected to him? Did you ever feel invested in him? Like I felt empathy for him and what he was going through, but I don't think it was specifically connected to him as a character. It was more just like, man, that would suck. Where you are right now would suck. You know, I thought of him more in connection with shit. I wouldn't have wanted to leave my boyfriend in my, in my burned out high school. If he was going through this, you know, like not I'm not connecting to Riley, you know, but I, but, you know, that's obviously just like a weird little supposition. Like what if this whole plot line of like identity and army versus chosen family. And what if the chip had been put into Xander, you know, like we would care so much more, not just because like Xander has been around this whole time, but, but yeah, I mean, because we can connect to him. Like I don't love Xander, but, we would be able to connect to the story and the themes involved in this season it's not a completely terribly thought out arc you know it's the whole idea of operant conditioning and like going beyond your conditioning and the whole chip thing and it could have it just could have been done better and unfortunately some of that is because of our inability to connect to Riley you know anyway um (laughs) that's just another long aside what's my next note oh um and then the whole allegory between like Frankenstein like (laughs) if I mean Buffy's my favorite show of all time but if you take like the plot structure of the Initiative and Riley and Professor Walsh and just that whole part of the plot of season four you know, the big bad level of the plot of season four versus Frankenstein, the modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley, which is kind of some of the themes that the season is based off of. I would read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein any day. I've read that book twice and I do not reread classics often in fact I don't read classics period often that is a damn good book it's about humanity it's about individuality it's about empathy for you know that was a monster that had an actual heart that was a monster that did not ask to become what he was and he was smart and he was humane anyway, don't get me started on Frankenstein. I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) Um, okay. Um, so throughout the episode, there's basically the scenes with the initiative and there's the scenes with Buffy and her friends, and then they come together at the end. And it's just kind of like every scene with, Buffy and the gang were here for and every scene with the initiative we're not here for unless Spike is there like Spike is our connection we're connected to Spike I don't I did not poor baby but I did not care about the scenes with Riley and Adam throughout the episode it was just like every time they got to them it was just like oh when is this gonna be over and I've said it before and apparently I'm gonna say it again everyone always complains about season four and I didn't used to think of it, I used to think, well, season four is fine, what are they talking about? And it's because I'd always sped through it, you know? I'd always binge watch the season of Buffy in the past. I've never watched it in real time like this before. And it's hard to get through in that context. So I completely understand if you were watching it in real time and you had to, like, really steep in, this, in these initiative foil waters <laughs> in the... In the foil military coverings of the initiative, if you really had to bake inside those for a while, <laughs> I am so sorry. I am so glad to put this initiative bullshit behind us. Like, let's celebrate that right now. I'm gonna take a big swig of water. Filtered water. How boring is that? Um, yeah, I'm really glad to put that shit behind us. Okay, so throughout the episode there's a bunch of scenes of Spike being super persistent with Adam like get this chip out of my head I did what you asked me to do and just referring back to the last episode over and over and over there's a lot of that I don't even know if I'm really gonna be like looking at my notes today um I liked um Spike's description of Willow to Adam Willow about so high he just holds his arm up while he's sitting down on a couch perky good with math natural choice natural choice for like who Buffy would get to de-encrypt the files or whatever. Who cares? Anyway, my next note is sexy robe, Giles. So Giles is all hung over after the events of, you know, the night before when they all fought and he was super drunk. And Willow's gone back with Tara to get her computer. And he is like in his robe obviously hung over. And it's a really nice, it's like a super deep, like burgundy purple, like textured, like it might have some sort of paisley or flower pattern on it or something. Sexy. Yes. <laughs> um, and then my other choice was, uh, or my other note was Tara's purple mauve frosty lipstick. So I can't decide in the scene. What is sexier? Giles's robe? Or Tara's frosty, mauve, purple, purple purpley mauve lipstick. Let me know. (laughs) Um, If I had any hope that you guys would answer surveys, I would put up a survey to see which of of those two things in this scene were sexiest for this episode. (laughs) Because I can't decide. Um, She's just, Tara's just like standing there like smiling sweetly while while Willow's asking Giles if she can get her computer back and Giles is like, will you be working here? Typing? Talking? (laughs) I loved that little touch. Everybody knows he's hungover. Um, Then my next note is Buffy's Robin's egg princess phone. So she picks up the phone for like a second um, that morning, thinking about calling her friends and then she just doesn't because you know they all just fought the night before and it was awful blowout fight and so she doesn't call them and she's like packing weapons and shit and like what does she think she's gonna do but it's because she's gonna go look for adam in the caves and she doesn't find him thankfully because he could have killed her like that's what they were talking about the night before like she was like i'm just gonna go i'm gonna go right now all by myself because i can't trust you guys and they're like Oh, so you can just get beat up by Adam again so you can become real dead? Like, yes, that's what Buffy was about to do, and luckily he wasn't there. I feel like there were many opportunities, or at least two, for Adam to kill Buffy. Like, if he had still been in those caves when Buffy went to look for him at the beginning of this episode, he could have easily dispatched her. And in the last episode, when she, like, rolls down the hill, I mean, obviously he's keeping her around. The whole conceit is he's keeping her around because he wants her to even the kill ratio because he wants there to be a bunch of dead humans and a bunch of dead monsters so that he can make more creatures like himself which again he's i mean they don't say this but it's it's almost just like he's trying to get a companion which is one of the things one of the plot points in Frankenstein the book you know he no one could look upon his ugliness so he Got, he went back to his, including his maker. So he went back to his maker, Dr. Frankenstein, and he said, you know, just do this one thing for me and I'll leave you alone. You know, I'll go into my ugly world and live as a hermit forever if you create a companion for me. Which sounds like a reasonable request to me. Like it, anyway, don't get me started on Frankenstein. (laughs) Anyway, um, So it's the same thing. Like, he's just creating companions for himself, right? That's what he's doing, I think? Um, yeah, anyway. Um, the next scene is... So this is just, like, everybody the morning after. Giles is hungover. Willow's getting her computer back. Buffy's packing up weapons to go look in the caves for Adam. And Xander's just still in bed. Because he's sad. And Anya comes and she, like, talks him into getting up. This is an interesting scene kind of telling of you know reminder this is not a spoiler free podcast um Xander leaves Anya at the altar and something about Anya that she just never really wraps her head around this is kind of like a little foreshadowing moment almost for me a little bit just just of her mindset where she is you know like he's saying all this stuff like he's having sort of an existential crisis about his life. Like, what am I doing with my life? You know, my friends are right to like be questioning what I'm doing. And, and Anya's like, so what if they think you're a loser? And he's like, and she says, you know, I love you. Like, who cares what they think of you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, and obviously he's not convinced. He does care what they think because for, Xander, he's a little bit more psychologically secure than Anya because he has friends. You know, he has people in his life that are important to him besides Anya. And Anya doesn't have that. She puts absolutely everything into Xander. And that's part of the reason. It's not just because Xander's an asshole, which obviously he is, but it's not just that. You know, it's not Anya is not blameless in the dissolution of their relationship that won't happen for another 2 years but this is like the first indication of that like she does not attempt to connect to anybody like she could even just like become closer to Buffy or Willow or something like obviously they're very closed off to her because the only women that could be friends on the show are Buffy and Willow <clears throat> but it's just very telling that she's like what does it matter what they think of you i love you like anya doesn't ever get to that controlling point where she tries to isolate him from his friends um but that is something that somebody like that would say she doesn't ever get to that point but you know anyway just just the thought that like she is investing absolutely everything into him and that's gonna bite her in the ass because you can't do that you can't subsume yourself into another person you cannot 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 um let's see um i just thought it was funny that anya was like are you still upset about that fight that you had with your friends that was hours ago get over it (laughs) um the secret lab that adam is hiding out in in um in the initiative that we see for the very first time, first and last time in this episode, actually looks kind of legit. It looks like a real place to me compared to like the other weird areas in the initiative that are just strange amorphous rooms covered in foil. This is, this is something. There's like an eclipse sort of Jesus tomb kind of door situation that's going on. It's like a big stone big circular stone situation that eclipses when it closes you know what I'm saying that was kind of cool be like the lab area like if you look past all the terrible demon metal humanoid Frankenstein monsters if you look past all of those to get to the good stuff which is the eclipse Jesus tomb door in the background anyway Um, Walsh is a zombie and so is Forrest and oh yeah, I didn't even mention like, so Riley has a chip in his chest and he, it's like some kind of mind control chip. They're like just keeping him subdued right now because they have plans for him or whatever. So I didn't even mention that, but that's happening. Um... I I thought it was really subtle, the, the scene between Buffy and Spike. So she's like searching for Adam in the caves and it looks like Spike is too. And she just runs into him and he's pretty good at like covering, but Buffy sees through his shit. So I think that's kind of smart that they're already kind of setting this up. Like nobody else saw through Spike's shit. Spike did not. Like, he was, while he was doing his whole, like, talking behind people's backs and stirring up shit and stirring the tea and all that shit that he was doing in the last episode, he did not once try to pull that shit with Buffy because she would have seen through it immediately. Um, you know, he stirred up shit with her friends who are not quite as observant as Buffy. So I think that's a cool little thing. Like, I really like it when this show, like, plays up Buffy's observation skills and her empathy because she is really quick with that shit you know when they let her be and i like when they're consistent with that character trait and this is one of those moments like she's having this conversation with spike and he's being real good he's he's pretty good at covering for for shit he's very he's very seven of swords If you're a tarot person, (laughs) he knows how to do it. He's very deceptive and weaselly, but she, all he says is, you know, like he's trying to get her to actually talk to Willow again, because like when she decrypts the disk, she'll be able to tell Buffy where the lab is and he successfully pulled them apart. But now he needs to make sure that they're anyway, whatever. So he says something about like, you wouldn't want to not talk, You wouldn't want to not save the world because you guys had a falling out. And that's all he has to say. And he recovers really quickly from that. You know, he's, he's good, but Buffy just kind of looks at him sideways a little bit. Like, why do you know that? And she immediately puts it together and she like calls everybody together and they have this awkward moment, like on campus somewhere. There's students in the background everywhere. People walking around with backpacks everywhere in the background. (laughs) Like they actually hired extras for this episode. Um, And just this awkward moment. And Buffy's like, what's going on? Who, who told you this? And who told you this? Oh, it was Spike. Okay. Well, here's what I think. I think Adam's doing this, this, and this. I think Spike did this, this, and this. And we're like, oh yeah, Buffy's really smart. (laughs) I don't know. I just liked that aspect of it. That There were like, you know, that one tiny little moment was enough for Buffy to be like, oh, I see what happened. I see what happened, Spike. I see what you did. Okay. She doesn't even give him shit about it. Um, Willow, <laughs> Willow and her like the the disc just like automatically decrypts itself, and she started saying, I had assumed it was an asymmetric algorithm, but maybe it's a hexagonal blah 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just cute. I don't know if any of that like math computer stuff makes any sense to someone that would know but it sounded cool um and then my next note was how is how is Wolfram and Hart's um encryption files how are they easier to hack than the initiatives because in the angel episode that aired this same night, which is called blind date. There's this cute little scene where Cordelia is on the phone with Willow and she is via phone telling Cordelia how to hack into some encrypted files stolen from Wolfram and Hart. And like the big gag, when she hung up was guess what they're doing right now. They're decrypting some files. (laughs) It was just funny. Um, But how that's, That doesn't make any sense. Wolfram and Hart would have really difficult files to decrypt. And do you know, have you ever, like, had a tech support phone call with your grandparents? It is almost impossible to tell people how to do simple things on the phone. That have to do with computers. When you can't see what their screen is doing, and they're trying to explain it to you, and they don't know shit about computers, and we're supposed to kind of think that mostly Cordelia doesn't know shit about computers. But that scene was really cute. That was worth watching that Angel episode for that little scene where she was on the phone with Willow. (laughs) She's like, "What do I do now?" (laughs) And of course, it was like there was a little flashback. Remember that moment in like the first possibly second, but I think it was the first season. Yeah. It was one of the very first episodes of season one of Buffy when like Willow and Buffy are in, no, Willow and Cordelia are in computer class and Cordelia is trying to figure out how to like write this program or something. And Willow's trying to help her and she's being mean to Willow. And so she asks her, Oh, she's, she's like, okay, I think I got it. Now what do I do? And Willow's like, press deliver. (laughs) And then Cordelia, of course, presses the delete button and it ruins her entire program. I flash back to that moment for a second. This time, Willow's actually helping her with a computer thing and they're friends now and isn't that cute? Just enjoy that moment. That is my notification to tell me that it is midnight. (laughs) Um, I have my phone in here because I I took a screenshot of something I'm going to it's going to come up later, guys. Don't worry. God. Okay. I just don't want to talk about this episode anymore. I'm just, I'm ready for next week when we can talk about Restless because, oh my God, that episode means so much to me. I might have to do a two-parter for that episode. Maybe we'll talk about it two, two weeks in a row. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I may even just like not be able to talk about it next week and we'll talk about it a week late. Um, let me know if that bothers you, um, because it might be what I do because I do have to work next week too. And I don't want it to be another scenario where I'm like super worn out for whatever reason. And then I don't put my entire effort into it because it's important. Um, so anyway, um, that's just a thought. It's not a plan. Um, I generally don't like to do things like not in the right time schedule, but since Restless is my most favorite episode of Buffy ever, I want to do it justice. So I might break the rules a little bit on that one. So if you don't get an episode next week, um, it's not because I died (sighs) most likely. Um, I'll be back the week after just in case. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but just in case I just suddenly thought of that, that like, let's give myself another week if I need it. Might not need it, but if you don't get an episode next week, you'll know why. Okay. Um, where are we? Oh, Forrest does this little like hand wave pointing thing that is kind of draggy, kind of a drag queen move. It's just this subtle little moment when he's talking to Riley, whenever Riley first sees him, and he's talking about how his life is so much better now and blah blah blah, and he does this little pointy hand wave like zigzaggy motion and he almost does like a head cock thing with it and I just thought that was interesting to note if you guys are of the opinion that Forrest is secretly in love with Riley of which there is there are a lot of subtext subtextual clues to that effect to that end see I'm I forgot my words sleep deprivation you guys it's no joke It's also hot I haven't turned the air on yet but I'm about this close you guys this close um it's probably not even that hot I'm gonna check the temperature right now cuz I got my phone right here so you guys can know what is the temperature right now see it's only 68 degrees what is the fucking humidity then cuz it's insane I don't know I have a new Weather app 89%. That's why 89% humidity that's making my brain hurt. Okay, all right. So, oh, I liked the little moment with Spike whenever. Um, so Buffy has just gone to everybody, they they're starting to formulate a plan, and then it cuts to Adam and he says, She's coming, I can feel it. And just as you're like, what? Why can you feel it? Shut up, Adam. Spike's like, oh, you got a chunk of prognosticating demon in there somewhere? And I liked that that was there. Like, it would have been nice if we got some kind of explanation for why Adam would have that sort of thought. But that was enough for me. Spike brought it, Brought he brought meaning to that little moment. So I had to bring it up. Um, all we need is combo Buffy, says Xander, and that's when they decide. They need Slayer Strength, Giles's multilingual know-how, and Willow's witchy power. I don't know what Xander brings to the table here. I mean, they call him Heart, but what reason do we need Heart in this moment? Whatever. They're just, they're just including him just because they don't want him to feel bad because he really has no purpose here. <laughs> Because, you know, he feels a little weird about not having a purpose. So they included him just for fun. (laughs) Um, And then at one point, whenever they're, like, storming into the frat house, which, where is everybody? Nobody's there. I guess they're all in the initiative. Um, And Giles says, just because this is never going to work, there's no need to be negative. (laughs) He says that to Xander for some reason. Um... Then there's the repel reconciliation where Willow and Buffy and Xander and Giles, but they're out of shot for the scene. Um, they're repelling into the initiative down the elevator shaft or some shit. I'm guessing that's what they're doing or that's where they are, um, and it's Willow and Buffy and they have, you know, they have the conversation that wraps up the season. Like, wow, we've really drifted apart from each other. You know, like, yes, Spike stirred up some shit, but there was shit to stir up. And, you know, I love you it, Buffy says to Willow that she loves her. And she like acknowledges like, you've been going through something big, you know, and I wasn't there cause I was all wrapped up in Riley and blah, 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 blah. And they just, they have a good conversation. It's mostly just Buffy saying she's sorry, but they have a good conversation and they hug and then Xander gets to the bottom and they hug him and it's a nice moment. It really is. It gives us a little bit of like relief and closure and it lets us really simmer in the moment of guess what this initiative bullshit is about to be over. Thank God. Thank God. Um my next note is Spike is persistent like he really is just like I mean he's really our only connection to the stupid initiative world but like there's many scenes in this episode with like Spike just hounding Adam continuously like you said you were gonna take this chip it's time now I did what you asked me to do come on and he's just every every single scene is just like how about now are you ready now (laughs) um and at one point he says, "Paging Doctor Omi one." Thought that was funny. Um, my next note is Adam's fingernails. Ooh, like he's like. There's this one little, a couple of different moments where they show him like flipping switches when he's turning the power off to the initiative or some shit, and it's just awful. It's just awful. It's like he's wearing one of those like rubber Halloween gloves that have the like dark, gnarly textured, pointy. Brownish, mossy green fingernail. Ugh. I just, I can't. I can't. It just looks bad. I mean, I know they didn't have a big budget, but couldn't they have, like, I don't know. Just, like, I don't know. Maybe the guy that plays Adam just has really graceful, long, and spindly fingers, and there's just no way they could have made them look grotesque without whatever anyway it looked awful um I so when all the chaos happens when they've let out all the demons and like people are you know the initiative soldiers are using flamethrowers and grenades and ridiculous and shit and there was just mayhem and it looks like a fucking war zone everybody's fighting at this point like basically adam has told spike he's not going to take his chip out and he's like tries to kill him And so while he's, while Spike is getting away, he's at first, he's sort of inadvertently fighting all the demons so he can get away. And then I think he just sort of, the character arc of Spike in this episode is interesting to me because it's almost like, so it started with like, he was trying to find a place. Like if we're using that whole family metaphor again for this season, you know everybody in this season is trying to find their identity trying to find their place trying to find their family trying to find like like RuPaul would call it trying to find your tribe he's trying to do that like every character is trying to do that so Spike is doing it by like he felt at home with vampires obviously back when he didn't have a chip so he's trying to get back to that and It is interesting to me how quickly, like, he's obviously very persistent throughout this episode. Like, take the chip out. Take the chip out. Seriously, are you going to do it? How about now? But as soon as, like, it is, as soon as Adam's like, no, basically, he accepts it pretty quickly. Like, he starts running away because his life is threatened and he starts fighting the demons. And then he just kind of gets into fighting the demons. And then by the end of the episode, he's... He says, what does he say? He says, they start talking about, like, getting as many soldiers out as they can at the very end. And he's like, well, let's go save them by gum. And he means it, actually, I think. I mean, at this point, you know, he's been reluctantly thrown into the middle of the fray with the Scooby gang a bunch of times throughout this entire season. And at this point, he's kind of choosing... To be with them and he will be from now on but I think this is possibly the first moment we're seeing him just make the choice you know he I think Spike is unwilling to just fly out there completely on his own he has to have people he has to have a place where he fits and even if the place where he fits is just with Drusilla or with Buffy It doesn't matter. You know, he focuses on, I mean, at this point, he doesn't realize he's in love with Buffy and that could be the motivation for absolutely everything. But it's just interesting to me that like, he's basically, as soon as he realizes, well, I'm not going to get to be back in the vampire club because Adam's not going to take the chip out. So I guess I got to go back to Buffy. You know, he's choosing the side of good. And I was thinking about also like, the whole experiment of the initiative, like they were trying to do behavior modifications, like possibly the end game was to put a bunch of behavior modification chips in a bunch of different kinds of vampires and demons, but we don't ever encounter another vampire or demon that has a chip from this experiment. And probably that's just because the show didn't care enough to like, put that kind of characterization in any other vampires or demons they just gave it to Spike because they wanted a reason to keep him around most likely that was the motivation but the fact that they were able to achieve since this is a show Buffy is ultimately a show about morality and since they were able to achieve the chip behavior modification in Spike it's possible that they were able to do that to Spike and only Spike because he had the potential to become good I think he is a rare vampire in that you know he gets more characterization but he's a rare vampire in that in the Buffy verse. in that he loves he genuinely loves like you don't see that sort of like selfless puppy dog love in any other vampire like you see it in Angel but only when he has a soul Spike is able to retain a level of just knight of cups honestly (laughs) um a level of just like romantic love that he had as a human even when he loses his soul that no other vampire seems to have like even Drusilla like I think she liked that she had Spike on her side, but did she genuinely feel love for him in the way that he loved her? I think the potential in Spike to become good was available. And in the morality tale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, perhaps that's the reason why he was the only vampire that the chip worked on effectively. Like, we don't see any evidence that they even did it to any other vampire or demon. But one would assume that they would have. It wouldn't have just been Spike. He wouldn't have been the first and last experiment. He was the one that worked. The chip worked in him exactly the way they wanted it to. And maybe that's because he has the potential for good. Anyway, didn't know I was going to talk about Spike so much. Um. Buffy finds Riley, he can't talk, because, you know, be- behavior modification chip. Um, I talked about all the tarot cards. Um, I resisted the urge. I really like to, whenever there are, like, spells in Buffy, I like to write down the wording <laughs> and the spells. I didn't do that, but I did take note of the moment that Willow says, daughter of Senea, Sanea. Sina- 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 daughter of Sanaya, first of the ones so this is the moment that is the um what is the word i don't know the word the reason for the dream episode that we're gonna have next week or the week after if i you know for some reason need an extra week this is the reason for it because she says daughter of Sanaya, first of the ones i actually I want to look up Sanaya and see, is that a goddess or something? What is Sanaya? Oh, okay. So Sanaya is, I thought that, um, the first Slayer was here being referred to as daughter of Sanaya, but apparently according to Buffy Buffyverse wiki, which is the first thing that comes up when you Google Sanaya, I mean, it would be a goddess or something if, you know, if that was the primary use of that word, um. So apparently she was named Sanaya. I'd never heard that before. Um, So the first Slayer that we're going to meet in the next episode is actually called Sanaya. So Buffy is daughter of Sanaya. Sanaya is first of the ones, as in the chosen ones. I like that. Daughter of Sanaya, first of the ones. Oh, I just like magical, weird language like that. Uh, My next note is just Buffy is so cool. This... With all the like bullshit of Adam and Riley and the initiative and Forrest and all that crap. I love this fight scene. I love it when they all become one. When four become one. I really love it because Buffy's eyes get all like yellow and then all their voices are combined together and then she chants Sumerian and then she does the whole Neo thing. Like she stops bullets and she turns them into doves and I love that kind of fighting. Like it's one of the reasons why I love the Matrix. I, you know, the whole... Buffy's fighting style for the most part, I really don't like, like if there were a perfect remake of Buffy, it would be a more feminist show. Of course, there would be more, um, diversity in the cast in all ways. Um, there'd be more female friendships than just Buffy and Willow. There'd be a lot of things that I would change. There'd be much more respectful storylines for people like Faith. You know, there'd be a lot of things I would change, but one of them would definitely be, um, the fighting style. I don't like the sort of like grunty, just like kicky. And a lot of it is just the score in the background. I like economy of moves fighting. And the ultimate economy of moves fighting is when you can do it telekinetically, <laughs> you know? Um, obviously that's not the type of fighting that a slayer would do typically, but I really like this fight scene. I like that she just She dispatches with Adam so quickly as soon as the four become one. And then she does this Sumerian and it sounds so cool. It always gives me goosebumps. And this is where I refer to my phone. So somebody did a translation from the Sumerian of what she says. Um, It's probably not the entire, but it's the, the first part, whenever she has first changed and she starts talking in Sumerian with their combined voices. And she says, according to this translation, which was cited in TPN's YouTube Buffy guide. So I don't know what his source was, but let's assume it's right. Okay. I don't know how to translate Sumerian, but let's assume it's right. We are heart. We are mind. We are spirit. From the raging storm, we bring the power of the primeval one so it's i never understood why the first slayer just shows up in their dreams and they blame it on this moment but like after seeing matt and the whole daughter of sanaya first of the ones shit i see it now this is my first time i think it's only been it feels like it's been forever but like It's been like three to five years since I realized that the only way I can understand what's going on in TV and movies is if I turn the subtitles on. I have to read what's going on to know what's going on. (laughs) So I've just like always been in the dark of a lot of things about Buffy. So in some ways doing this rewatch project with you guys, being that it's probably the first time I've seen most of these episodes with subtitles means that like i'm kind of seeing it all for the first time with you guys like i'm understanding the plot in ways that i never did before like i don't think i ever before now even understood what the fuck adam was trying to do and now it's perfectly clear to me he was trying to make companions he was trying to get parts like even though they said that it didn't register with me because i wasn't reading it (laughs) i had a friend come up to me today And I still don't know what she was trying to tell me, but it was something very simple. And our conversation lasted all of 20 seconds maybe. And I never understood what she was trying to tell me because, and and it's even harder for me now because I have to wear a mask as a public servant, um, understandably right now, but like, so I can't see people's mouths when they're talking. And I think that makes it even harder for me to understand what they're saying it's just taking a lot more concentration than usual for me to understand what people are saying. And it usually takes a lot of conversation for me to understand a lot of concentration for me to understand what people are saying. And it's just, yeah. So anyway, I never understood the connection to the first Slayer before now. And it's, it's obvious now that I can read the words, (laughs) but anyway, I just liked that. Translation from the Sumerian. I like that they're if they're since they were actually using a real language, which I didn't know that they were, I thought they were just calling it Sumerian and then just making up some shit. But I'm glad that they were actually using a real language and they were actually using something that fits in the plot. I mean that's they're not always that thorough and consistent, so I like that they were in this case. So I just wanted to give it its props. Um my next note is Spike kills the thing. Um, basically he saves everybody because they're all super drained at the end of the spell and he saves them basically just because he's trying to get in good with them. He wants to belong to a family and he's trying. (laughs) He doesn't want them to know that he's trying, but he is. And of course he's going about it the wrong way because he doesn't have a soul. But anyway, (laughs) my next note was Graham is okay. So we see him and like, the weird little like disjointed montage at the end when they're going back and forth between like some people that are in charge of the initiative that are on a conference call or some shit, who knows they're in a zoom meeting (laughs) talking about shutting it down. And so it's cutting between them sitting at the table, um, talking about shutting down the initiative and that it was a failed experiment and blah, blah, blah and cutting to the actual initiative and Riley and Buffy and everybody getting what people are still alive out and you see Graham for like half a second (laughs) it's like oh well that's nice I'm glad he's still alive I think we might see him again in a future episode when Riley starts having those problems with his heart in the next season or whatever I think we might see Graham again surely we do because he's the only face that we would recognize surely we do anyway i I don't know but Graham's okay the reasonable friend of riley's he's okay okay and then the very last um thing that is said in the episode is from those higher up guys sitting at the sitting in the zoom meeting and they say burn it down and salt the earth so they're shutting down the entire experiment it's over They give a little bit of props to Buffy. They're like, the only reason why any of our soldiers are still alive is because of a group of insurrectionists or something, whatever, whatever wording he uses. So, okay, let's talk about Angel for a second and then we'll do the ratings. Um, I did not take a lot of notes for the Angel episode. It was basically an episode about Lindsay. Like, he's trying to decide if he wants to go over to the good side, if he wants to... If he wants to, it's kind of, it's kind of a good or bad family situation too over on Angel. So the only notes I took for Angel are, it's their world structure for power, not truth. So this is something that Angel is saying in regards to Wolfram and Hart. Um, then that whole Cordelia talking to Willow scene that I told you guys about before—that was cute. This is where the Shanshu prophecy comes in, which is a big deal on Angel. So we will probably talk about that a little bit. Um, so Angel finds himself, so he's trying to steal some files from Wolfram and Hart in this episode. And he sees a scroll in the room where he's stealing files from, and he's just drawn to it. And he grabs it just like without even thinking, <laughs> like he just grabs it. And, um, basically that moment, that's when the alarms go off and Lindsay ends up getting kind of captured again. And like, anyway, doesn't fucking matter. Who cares about Lindsay? I don't even want to talk about this fucking Angel episode, but the Shanshu prophecy is going to become a big plot point at the end of the season for Angel. Maybe that's what we'll do. Maybe we'll talk about the Angel episode next week. Kind of do like a little bit of a shorter episode a little bit less serious, because the end of Angel seasons are probably going to be heavy enough that I want to have an actual conversation, whereas most of the time with Angel episodes, I'm just like, whatever, and I say four sentences, but yeah, let's have that be the tentative plan, and if you guys don't like it, let me know, but um, that might work out better. Or maybe I'll talk about Restless next week, and I'll actually spend a week talking about Angel. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Why do I, why do I talk about things when I don't know what I'm doing? Something's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know what. Okay. Object of the episode. Um, for Buffy. I'm gonna go with Buffy's Robin's Egg Blue princess phone and yeah look it up a princess phone is just a style of vintage phone and that's what she has I think and it's I don't think it's always there but it was there in this episode so print p to the r to the n to the cess okay princess phone outfit of the episode um, didn't they all suck I mean they were all just very nondescript Buffy was wearing like a white sheer shirt through most of the episode I'm gonna go with Giles in his robe because that is like one of the only things I can think of that was a moment where I was like that looks good Um, quote of the episode fuck I don't know will you be working here Typing? Talking? Maybe it's that. There wasn't a lot of, like, witty dialogue in this episode. So, we're just gonna say, who cares, but it's probably that one. MVP of the episode. Well, shit. It's pretty much the season-ending episode, even though we have the dream episode, but that's kind of an extra. It's kind of a bonus. Hmm... I mean it's gotta be Buffy because she's the one that like sees through Spike's bullshit immediately and she gets everyone back together she pretty much apologizes to Willow so she not only like gets everybody to work together again but she has the conversation that is needed that starts the hug that is the actual like emotional healing moment that they all needed like they probably couldn't have actually done the enjoining spell if that conversation hadn't happened and Buffy initiated that. And so, yeah, we'll give it to Buffy. And then 5 by 5 ratings. Treatment of women in this episode. I mean, all you fucking get is Buffy and Willow and then Anya for like a second and Tara for like a second. So I mean, it wasn't outright, you know, there were a couple of moments though, that it bothered me that like Buffy's like struggling to fight off Forrest and Professor Walsh zombie and some other dude. And when Riley pulls the chip out of his chest, which I didn't even mention, but that happens. um, He pulls it out of his chest himself to get, regain control of his life. So he chooses individuality over um, subsuming his identity within a military environment. So he makes the right choice. Um, I guess that's important. Should have probably mentioned that. But after he pulls the chip out, he he easily fights them off for Buffy and, like, saves her for a second. And I was just like, that that's not believable. He's not superhuman. Of course, we'll find out in the next season that, like, There's something going on with him that, like, he's been altered in some ways, and that's what makes him so super strong. But he's still not anywhere near stronger than Buffy, so why was she struggling to fight them off when he could easily... Yeah, anyway, that did bug me. We'll give it a two for treatment of women. Maybe that's unfair. I don't know. Whatever. As far as overall enjoyability of the episode... Like I said, pretty much every episode with the initiative was just like, fuck, why? Those little moments where you had to be reminded in previous episodes that Adam exists. This entire episode was that. (laughs) So I didn't like that, but I really liked the end fight scene, and I liked the hugging moment, and the catharsis, and the closure... I like the Sumerian, I like the tarot cards, I like Giles in his robe and Tara's frosty m- purpley mauve lipstick. So it ain't all bad. But it's not really that great. I'm gonna give it a two and a half. Because it's just like half bad. So whatever two times two and a half, that's five. Okay. I know I know math. It's a it's a hexagonal something algorithm (laughs) thanks for listening to my shit you guys I really appreciate it truly truly I do like the fact that I have this to look forward to every week is is pretty incredible and I'm already like proactively depressed that like after next week you know if we do this like we're supposed to do it and I talk about restless next week then we're done and will be done until, like, September or something. Let's look. Since I do have my calendar right here. Yeah, the next episode of Buffy we'll have to talk about after next week is September 26th. That's a long time from now, you guys. Um, but let's not think about that yet, because it's not here. And I might just draw things out, <laughs> you know, like... might talk about restless next week. Might talk about the angel episode the week after we might find other things to talk about because I don't know if I can, I mean, I know I say this every summer and last summer, I totally did leave you guys for like the entire summer, but I don't want to leave you guys for the entire summer. I don't, I mean, it's fun to take a little bit of time off, um, especially when I have to work on Saturdays, but, which I probably will, but I don't like leaving you guys I would love some input as to like what you guys think we should do. I might set up a survey. I think I can set up a survey on my Patreon. Like you guys don't have to be patrons in order to fill out the survey. Um, So I'm thinking about doing that. Like um, more details once I have it up. Like I don't have it up yet, but I might put up a survey like next week wherein, you know, for some options. But if you guys, I don't know what options to provide for like something that I can do throughout the summer. Like, should I talk about some other TV show? I could start talking about Veronica Mars maybe, um, or something else. Uh, or maybe we could just do an Angel watch. That's an idea because I don't normally take notes when I watch Angel and But I like watching it on the same night that it was on before. Hmm. But Buffy and Angel don't really, after this season, they don't really, there's not really any other crossovers. There's like one or two more times that Angel goes to the Buffy show, but I don't know if Buffy ever goes back to Angel. So it really doesn't cross over much in the future. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you guys want me to talk about Angel more? And if you do, maybe we can spend the summer doing that and just talk about those episodes completely out of context of the actual anniversary dates and just go through it. I probably won't be quite as impassioned about talking about Angel, (laughs) but y'all know I can talk, so I'll probably still talk for at least 45 minutes. But yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? we could talk about Angel. We could talk about Veronica Mars this summer. We could talk about movies. Like what do you want to do? Um, let me know if you have any specific ideas. If no one lets me know anything, Radio at gmail is where you can send those thoughts. Then I can put up a survey or something and I'll let you guys know whenever that's available. Okay. So I will see you guys next week, probably Unless for some reason I'm emptied out like a husk again and I just decide to wait an extra week. Who knows? <laughs> I'm telling you nothing specific because I don't know at this moment how I'm going to feel a week from today. <laughs> Being so overly dramatic. I probably just need to get used to the way that things are and it'll be fine. Um, I'm just very tired right now. So maybe next week I'll be less sleep deprived and I'll apologize to you guys for being such a mess this week thanks for listening y'all are the best i will see you guys next week most likely bye